Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you love wrestling podcasts but hate all the ads? Well, you can get all the great podcasts early and ad-free at adfreeshows.com. It only starts at nine bucks a month, but you get exclusive series at adfreeshows.com like Title Chase, Eric Fires Back, Conversations with Conrad, and tons more, and a chance to interact with your favorite podcast hosts every month. See for yourself why thousands of other wrestling fans say adfreeshows.com is the best value in wrestling. Adfreeshows.com. You know, I get the question all the time, Conrad, I know you help people save money and you help people refinance, but could you actually help me buy a house? Yeah, buddy. Come on now. Buywithconrad.com is your hookup. And let me give you a heads up. You don't need a huge down payment to buy a house in 2022. In fact, you may not need a down payment at all. There are still loan programs out there that can get you out of your apartment and into a brand new house with no money down. And I know it sounds too good to be true, but buddy, we're doing it pretty routinely. And you don't have to be a veteran, but yeah, we can still help our veterans get into a house with no money down. But more importantly, we're going to help you get on the path to buy a house this year. You see, a lot of times we have these conversations and folks say, well, I've got a little bit of time left on my lease, or I'm not sure exactly when I'll be ready, or how much of a down payment do I need to save up? My advice, don't get ahead of yourself. Let's start the pre-approval process. Let's know what your new house payment could look like. You'll tell us how much down payment you want to have. Maybe the answer is zero. That's cool. And then you'll tell us what you want your monthly payment to be. And then you go shopping for your dream home. But step one starts at buywithconrad.com. And hey, did you know that when you go to file your taxes as a homeowner, you're going to get a statement back from your mortgage company that's going to say, hey, you can write off this amount of interest this year. How much of your rent are you writing off this year? None of it. Oh, and by the way, what's your interest rate on your rent? Well, that would be 100%, pal. You know you can do better than 100% interest. That's what rent is. Stop throwing your money away. And by the way, we can even help you get rid of your current house and get into a better house if you already have a house but you think, you know what, it's time for a new place. We can help you at buywithconrad.com. That's buywithconrad.com, B-U-Y with Conrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And be sure to ask about our green light underwrite 
We can actually get your file completely underwritten, and that allows you to negotiate like a cash buyer at buywithconrad.com. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to my world. And of course, we couldn't do it without the Hall of Famer and the supposed alleged horseman. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the program. The one and only Double J, Jeff Jarrett. Jeff, how are you, man? Oh, hi to Conrad. It's Double J here. That's J E double F J A. No, Conrad, don't give me this alleged BS crap. I was in Indianapolis this weekend, an overwhelming majority of folks. Uh, I had to throw up the four multiple times. There was some documented proof. There was a top guy there. There were several, I, there was a big ad free family there all throughout, uh, JBL. I got to tell you a quick little story. I'm walking through, uh, my man codes codes is with me and he leaned over to mom and said, mom, I got to use the bathroom. I said, let's roll. So as we're walking through the, um, the convention floor space. In, in a way that only JBL can holler. Can you imagine this? Uh, just, you know, he, he, he's been known to holler across, uh, maybe a saloon or two, but it was mm. like that. And he hollered, there is the four horsemen, not a four horsemen. He said, there is the four horsemen. And you know, who is sitting next to him? Who do you think was sitting next to JBL? I don't know. His tag team partner. Oh, Ron Simmons. Come on now. And you know what his tag team partner stood up and said? Bullshit. Yes, he did. He said, damn. Sure did, Conrad. So there's your four horsemen. How we doing today, pal? Lots going on in my world. Pardon well, the pun. I want to mention, I can't believe uh, that this is a real thing. <laughs> but I saw online, correct me if I'm wrong. But I saw this yesterday that Jeff Jarrett and road dog have announced the ain't we great tour for 2022. And you're kicking the show off on May 29th at the nerd bar in Las Vegas. Do I have that right? Is this a, this is not April 1st. This is mid April now. And I don't know what's a bigger rib. The idea that you found someone to Photoshop your hall of fame jacket to be gold <laughs> or that you guys are on tour with a song that you never really sang. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Conrad, you know, I don't believe in coincidences, only convergences. Me and the road dog. Back together. Back together. Back in 1994, we went out there and, I mean, 95, we went out there and shot a group of vignettes and a magazine deal and all this kind of stuff. And that's where the tour starts again. Didn't you love the spot, Conrad? It, 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 <laughs> it, 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 it our music defined an era. It was the, the spot. Kudos to that free team, Chris and Wes and, and, uh, uh, Josh who shot some stuff and road dog and man, uh, the Dallas show at Gillies, uh, you got a first taste of the charisma of the road dog on stage and we're doing it. Conrad, it is Sunday, May 29th, right there in Las Vegas, double or nothing and double J, uh, the double J's, uh, at the nerd bar VIP doors at 11 show starts at two. You're going to have plenty of time. Plenty of time to get over to the pay-per-view because it's all right there. Uh, relatively close. You can scoot right down to T-Mobile Arena. But um, VIP, meet and greet, the swag bag is on the way. Conrad, uh, I can just say this. Uh, you and Bruce did a hell of a job of impersonating and poking fun and making that song ha- have a lot of chatter. And me and Rodo got to sing it on stage at my Hall of Fame and had a lot of fun. We gave a tidbit at the Gilly show, but Conrad, 
Sunday, May 29th, 2 o'clock, the Ain't We Great Tour 2022 kicks off again. I can't believe it's really happening. The same day as the AEW pay-per-view in Vegas, mark your calendars. Where can they get tickets uh, again? Tell us again. Uh, Double J Live and uh, is it Road Dog Live? We got two URLs, but on this show, DoubleJLive.com. Get your tickets now, DoubleJLive.com. Is that right? Live with Double J Live. Oh, see, Conrad, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm freezing up here. Uh, DoubleJLive.com works for me. So, uh, (laughs) hell, let's get Silva on here. I'm all, I'm rattled. There's so much going on. The baseball deal. I I love that. You're so fired up on selling it. You forgot to actually tell people how to buy it. (laughs) (laughs) Double J live.com by God. Uh, by the way, the ticket for the VIP where you get the swag bag and you get the meet and greet. That's way less than you guys would charge for individual meet and greet. So pretty doggone good value. Double J live.com. Check it out right now. And, uh, by the way, if you're a member over at adfreeshows.com and you're listening to this on Tuesday morning, by now, you know, about top guy weekend, uh, in case you're not familiar with ad free shows, we give you all of our shows early and ad free. But in addition to that, we create bonus content every single month, uh, every single week, including interactive zooms. So like, as you and I are recording this last week was the 25th anniversary of BCW's first pay-per-view barely legal. And we had Taz and Sabu on a live zoom where fans got to ask questions we watched their their main event match from Barely Legal, the most talked about match in ECW history, the most built up, blah, blah, blah. Just a special experience to have both of those guys, not just watching it and giving alternate commentary, but actually answering questions from fans. Uh, all of that happens at adfreeshows.com. But once a year, we do like a miniature convention and you can leave your wallet at home because we bring our whole cast of characters in We've got a series of stage shows and this year we're doing something even more special than what we did last year, but the, the, the secret is out. Join us at adfreeshows.com. Uh, had you been a member for this past year and, and been a top guy, you would be there having the time of your life. Uh, go see what we're doing over at adfreeshows.com, but let's talk about what we're doing today. Jeff, mm. we're talking about TNA from 15 years ago. We're talking about lockdown. This is, uh, the first time we talked about lockdown was last week, but now we're talking about it from 2007. So a couple of years later, lockdown is going to be taking place in St. Charles, Missouri, or as TNA like to call it St. Louis. Uh, why was St. Louis the right place to hold a pay-per-view outside of the impact zone? Uh, this particular occasion building deal, a good market, uh, St. Louis, as you are well aware which it's a traditional, and I don't even use the word traditional. It's a wrestling market, um, large population. Um, you know, you, you go back and think through the history of wrestling in Memphis and Dallas, Houston, Chicago, uh, obviously New York, Boston, Philly, Baltimore, Charlotte. You can just envision the buildings, uh, big markets. Uh, it was a, it was a stronghold for wrestling and in a lot of ways, a crossroads in a lot of ways. Um, but no, is a good market. Um, WWE super successful in the market, but just right down the road in St. Just, you know, it's 30 minutes, um, 30, 35 minutes out of downtown St. Louis. Um, family arena is what they called it back then, but we got a great building deal. Uh, our, our market by market still early in the game with spike to really register ratings that we thought, okay, that's a good idea, but based off ratings, but it was a strong market, uh, and, and St. Louis always has, but, um, 
uh, if there's any one thing, it would be a great building deal. And we felt real good that we could buy media at an affordable price. Uh, that's another big driver uh, in early TNA. How, how affordable is buying paid media that's going to move the needle? Man, that was such a real challenge too, because I, and I don't think a lot of people ever even really think about that, but once upon a time, it was pretty easy to go to these radio stations or TV stations and say, Hey, we'll give you some of these tickets as giveaways. But ultimately what they really want is an ad buy from you, meaning they want you to pay them to promote your show. But that becomes a little tricky too, because where are the wrestling fans? You know, by and large, it feels like if I was going to promote a show in St. Louis, I would probably certainly advertise inside my own program, but I'm not paying for that. But how do I get the other wrestling fans in the area to know? Well, I might advertise in raw or SmackDown or what have you, but then there's the lapsed fan and, and you want to let everybody know who isn't even watching wrestling. Hey, wrestling's coming to your town. So then it's a, kind of a guessing game of, okay, what, what radio station, what TV station, what television shows are maybe going to have some crossover with our target demo, which is a phrase that wrestling fans are familiar with now, but all of that is sort of a guess. There's a pretty famous quote that 50% of my advertising works trouble is, I don't know which 50%. Um, mm. so you just wind up spending money and hoping that it works, but you're piling all of that on top of now I've got to fly all these guys in. Now I've got to pay all these talent. Now I got to get all my production people there. And when it was just left at the impact zone, that's one thing, but bringing the show on the road, all the equipment and the trucks and all of that. And then the satellite time, man, it became very costly in a hurry. And for a small company, an extra 50 grand in advertising one way or another could mean the difference in profitability or not. Right. Big time. And you know, another, uh, enormous factor, um, is, uh, whether it's a union building, you'll probably do a better job of me just, uh, given that description, but you know, some buildings are on your, under union. And I can't recall if this was one or not, but I know, uh, and generally speaking, when we would look at things, advertising, is it affordable? Can we move the needle, uh, with a, with the right ad buy? And then, you know, um, is it holiday weekend or is there double time or triple time or time and a half? staff staffing issues what is their overall building deal but if it's a union deal then you um got to play by union rules and union prices and sometimes union folks um for the most part they they come they completely understand what they're setting up but there's some wrestling there are some wrestling specific things that you got to do that the union folks aren't accustomed to so we're doing the work but still paying for labor um that's just the uh, the, the rules of, uh, of a traveling show. So yeah, we had to look at all that. And again, uh, to, to reframe this or just to give it another frame, we're still talking about running a pay-per-view on a one hour, one hour television show. Uh, we're talking 2007. So Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, no Snapchat, no TikTok. but you know, really, really early days. So digital marketing, isn't anywhere close and you can speak probably better to this, but you know, there, there, there wasn't per se a massive amount of digital marketing as it relates to wrestling shows, uh, in 2007. So, uh, it was, you know, we really had to look at, all right, where are we going to buy our ads, get the right radio station or the cluster of stations that would have, you know, three or four different formats. And then, you know, what does it cost? Here's another little tidbit, uh, Conrad, I'm sure you're aware of this, but we would look at Monday night raw 
what are the ad rates to buy a spot within Monday night raw in that and market in St. Louis, you can buy just St. Louis specific raw ads. And sometimes, and you know, I don't say the smart ones, but people realize that that's a very premium specific. And you know, if there was a local wrestling show that didn't happen very often, but you wanted to find going back to your, uh, saying 50% works, what 50% does work. Well, we know wrestling fans are watching raw. So you go in there, buy those ads, but sometimes they're astronomically expensive if you want to buy specifically only raw. So it was a challenge uh, that, that the, the, the marketing budget was definitely a challenge. So let's talk about some other challenges you've got. Meltzer would say it's virtually a sure thing. TNA will be replacing the NWA name on its championship belts with them being renamed the TNA world heavyweight championship belts. TNA had the rights to use the NWA name for its belts and control the championship for many years but the NWA itself called them on a contract breach. Two things in the contract that TNA was supposed to feature the NWA name and plug NWA house shows in the weekly Nashville days. They used to run a crawl with the NWA house shows, but since getting real television, they stopped doing it. The NWA never made an issue out of it. The deal also was done before TNA was planning on doing house shows in the deal. If TNA was going to run any house shows and territories where there's an existing NWA member, they would have to pay a territorial fee to that member. The dollar amount was insignificant, but TNA wasn't wanting to pay it. Since they didn't, it was another breach. The NWA itself wanted control of both the heavyweight and tag team titles as they were trying to produce a TV show, but largely promote shows using top workers and copying the ROH formula of presenting great matches and trying to make money selling DVDs of the shows. As things currently stand, Jeff Jarrett has until the TV taping after the May pay-per-view to do whatever it is he's going to do to make the transition. So lots to unpack here. I certainly understand, you know, you being a, a, a old school wrestling fan and trying to embrace the heritage of the NWA name that makes a lot of sense and why you would want it. We know that you were just doing them a solid by plugging their minuscule house shows. I mean, these are, you know, outlaw mud shows as somebody would call them. Uh, tiny, tiny uh, venues, not a substantial promotion, but still that was the deal. You did it for a while and then you stopped and you stopped because candidly, it would make your mainstream presentation look Bush league. And I understand that they probably did too, which is why they didn't make an issue out of it. But then I almost laughed out loud at, they would pay a territorial fee because Lord Bruce and I have had such a great time laughing about that over the years, because when somebody bought the Alabama territory, what the hell did they buy? They bought the right to promote here. Well, who anointed them? Like, what does that even mean? You're just giving up money for nothing. You're selling air. It's make believe it's fantasy. But then the dollar amount was insignificant. And that made me raise an eyebrow. Like, do you happen to remember what the insignificant fee was? This territorial I, fee that's written about I could have done some research, Conrad. It was very insignificant, but so you'll sort of know that understand like even in the early days is if we're going into whatever one of these guys territories, we wanted to pay them a, a, a very small fee, but basically that was like a, uh, a token of, okay, we have a relationship. And in the early days we, and, and rightly so we were going to agree to put their talent on our shows. We were going to say, Hey, if you have an existing building deal, can we lean on that? Or we got an existing media relationship. We're going to build on that. So it's a, basically a little bit of a fee that we're going to pay to 
use your resources in each market. That was the spirit of the deal. Now we never got up and running house shows in, in the first year or two, but that was kind of the spirit of the deal. And we own the air on pay-per-view when you get to spike whole new ball game. Not only would it not probably been real good to say, Hey, come see AJ styles at, uh, the national guard armory down in Topeka. Yeah, that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. That wouldn't have been a great presentation. Also, we we were very cognizant, and this is going to come out in this pay-per-view. Again, trying to do a pay-per-view on four one-hour shows. It's just a challenge. It was a really, really – so we had to pick and choose our spots. Um, the the big picture is, and, I, and I'm – you know, as I look back on it, the exit strategies for both, it went about as smoothly as possible. We both realized – Candy, we had outgrown the agreement. We were on spike. We were, you know, investing millions of dollars in our brand and we didn't own the brand. We were licensing the brand, but here's sort of the catch 22. As Meltzer said, Jeff has till the end of so-and-so to decide. Um, there was a, there was a reason that we wanted to kind of figure out what is the best exit strategy. So in those days, Jeremy, Padar, is that how you say his last name? I always get that wrong. But uh, he's with Jazzwares now. Action figure. We had come together on a deal, and I'm trying to think how all that went together. But you remember the action figures? I'm looking in my office. Which one is that? But that used the NWA logo? Yeah. So we had a licensing agreement. And so as it relates, and Conrad, you're the maybe the king of selling nostalgia, putting the NWA brand and having a line of NWA classics and this and that, there was a lot of value to that. And it, we monetized that and made money off that. The and legends of the ring line. That's what you're talking about. It had the NWA logo uh, on the left and the right, I think. And it was, it was a needle mover in discussions and contracts because we had a, a brand that had been around since 1905. And look, there's, the, the collector's market versus the kid market, uh, continues to explode. Uh, but you know, it, it's a, it's a real big segment. Uh, our boys Cardona and Myers, they can really speak to it, but there's a real value to having that brand. So the exit strategy on how we were going to deal, not just the NWA world champion and the NWA tag team champions, but how are we going to deal with the monetization of the logo, what we already had in motion, what's the exit strategy. We had to do all that. So there was a big process that Dave or what Meltzer or Keller or others, and even people internally didn't really realize that to unwind this, um, it's not just say, okay, change it. So we had to line it up and it was, you know, slam anniversary uh, of this year. So three months after that is when we finally changed the branding of the belts, but the, the exit strategy started months before that. Financially though, I mean, what would it have costed to make everybody happy here? Oh, for exit strategy? No, just to keep it going. Nothing. Well, I mean, very, very well, I see, I, I think it was contractually, I think our term was coming up for a re-up and I don't think they were, I don't think either side knew that we knew that it was over. We, we, we didn't want to redo this. So financially, I don't think there was a dollar figure. So in, in your head at this point, we're established. We don't need it. We don't have to have it. So why right. continue to put up with the hassle or the headache? I mean, if the fee is insignificant, I'm just wondering, why wouldn't you just, Hey man, here's a couple grand, go the fuck away. It, 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 and I don't even think we have to give them a couple grand. I think it was over. It was the, the contract over, but I think we had to, from a legal perspective, 
with the action figures and anywhere else we were monetizing it that that okay hey guys this relationship's over here's notice you we we we're done we've got to we can't make anything new with nwa on it and didn't want to but we had to make sure did you did it ever cross your mind or anybody's dixie or spike or anybody what if we just buy the thing sure did the how serious did those discussions get if at all not, not at all there was We'll have to do our research, but eight, six, eight, 10, 12 guys that we'd been negotiating with, they would have never agreed on it. And the price would have gone up, but there was definitely, dis- I mean, definite discussions. This is pre Bruce Tharp, right? Oh yeah. yeah. Um, okay. We'll talk about that all, all that another day, but I've always just been fascinated by how it moved around and changed hands. And ultimately we know Billy Corgan's got it now. And, and I know you were just on their show and we both think a lot of Nick Aldis and what they're trying to do and nothing but the best for them. But this is pre Billy Corgan. Just want to make sure everybody listening understands that totally different ownership NWA and didn't reference their world heavyweight champion, Mr. Matt Cardona. Oh, is he still the champ? I just thought all this would have beat him by now. <laughs> no, but yeah, we definitely had those discussions, uh, probably more so than people realize, uh, especially back in the day, because look, you're an executive. That's exactly what Panda had in mind. Guys, you're monetizing this through action figures. We don't have control of the brand. Can we just go buy the brand? And I would try to diplomatically say, we're not dealing with one person. We're dealing with a board of directors and they're not going to agree on letting this go because it is part of their identity. They are a NWA promoter. Oh, well, Bob Carter would say, how much money they're making off of it? Well, Bob, it's not really about that. I don't understand, Jeff. What is it about? Well, you know, Conrad, it's, it's hard to have the, uh, tried to explain those kind of conversations that it's probably not really for sale. And if it is for sale, from one board of director, that means the other board of director just on principle is going to disagree on the price. So we're going to circle the wagons until you want to write a big fat check, Bob. And I highly advise let's go our separate ways. Well, I'm sure you were sleeping good when you made that decision. And these days you and I are sleeping good. Thanks to chili sleep. Uh, Jeff has spent the night at my house before, and he knows prior to chili sleep, I kept it cold enough to hang meat in the house. But Jeff likes that because he knew that, Hey, science tells us the best way to achieve and maintain consistent deep sleep is by lowering our core body temperature. Now I was sort of foolish because I didn't need to cool down my laundry room or my dining room. No, I needed my bed to be cool. And now it is thanks to chili sleep. Chili sleep makes customizable climate controlled sleep solutions that help you improve your entire well-being. Chili sleep makes the Uller and the cube sleep system. They're both hydro power, temperature controlled mattress toppers. Let me explain. This fits over your existing mattress and it allows you to have in your hand, a remote control called your phone and adjust that temperature as you see fit. Let me explain. My wife likes to get into a warm bed. So her side automatically starts warming up at 10 o'clock at night by midnight. It starts cooling her down, but then she wants to warm up to wake up about five 30. Not me. I want to get in the cold bed and I want it to be cold all night long. It's automated on both sides of our bed. We did it through our phones and maybe we get in there one day and we're like, man, it's kind of cold. I can adjust it on my phone. I have my ideal sleep temperature in my bed. I'm sleeping better than ever because I'm in control. Everybody hates waiting up, waking up all hot and sweaty. Here's my, my next question. Can you even imagine waking up and not feeling tired? That's been my existence with chili sleep. 
I can't brag on this enough. I've got everybody, all my friends and family using it. I've even got one I travel with now. These luxury mattress pads keep your bed at the perfect temperature for deep sleep. Whether you sleep hot or cold, they're designed to help you fall asleep and stay asleep and give you the confidence and energy to power through your day. I know I'm more productive because I have chilly sleep. Prior to chilly sleep, I was sleeping five or six hours a night. Now I'm sleeping seven, eight, nine, sometimes 10 hours, but I have bright, vivid dreams. And Jeff, you and I've talked about this before. Sometimes we would work so much that we just pass out. That's not the best sleep. Sleep used to be a a have to do. Now sleep is a get to do. I'm feeling better than ever. And it's because of chili sleep. I encourage you head over to chilisleep.com forward slash my world to learn more and save a boatload of cash. 30% off the purchase of any new Cuber Uller sleep system. Now that's an exclusive offer just for my world with Jeff Jarrett listeners. It's only for a limited time. Check it out. I'm telling you, you're going to love it. That's chili C H I L I sleep.com slash my world. Take advantage of this discount. Wake up refreshed every day. Chili forward slash my world. Passion drive and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, It's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about... How to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. And, and Jeff, this, uh, this pay-per-view is, is, is unlike a lot of others because we know we're going to have... Well, a bunch of cage matches. We talked a little bit about that last week, but we get things kicked off on April 15th in our four week build of the pay-per-view with AJ styles on crutches. He's got his ankle in a brace. He's pretending to have suffered a major injury falling from the scaffold. He's going to call out Rhino and Meltzer would say it was good. And that he's staying heel, even though he's all banged up, but it's bad because quote, even a two-year-old could see it was an angle and the announcers had to sell something bad. Ultimately, Rhino's going to have the edge until Christian comes in, hits Rhino with the crutch before Joe and Angle make the save. Um, do you think in hindsight having AJ rip off the neck brace hurts the Elevation X gimmick as not being dangerous or whatever? No. I mean, we can split hairs and get granular, and I'm not going to do that on this on this particular question. But, you know, as I read through the notes and the, notes and the research and all this, Dave's a little cranky. Yeah. He's a little cranky this month for sort of the higher entire month. And I think I, I'm trying to take a step back and go back in time on the other channels, WWE, 
in a lot of ways they were hitting on all cylinders and a lot of things going on. So Dave had to write, didn't have to, but he chose to. But uh, I, I mean, I definitely see his point. And a traditionalist absolutely would say, you're killing the gimmick. It's entertainment. AJ pulled it off. We we gave credence that, okay, he he's selling the effects, and then he goes into his heel mode. So, no, I don't think it hurt. A fun little tidbit from this era of TV. They wanted Bob Backlund to pretend to be doing these step-ups for hours and be covered in sweat. So when they first lay this idea out, hey, that, Mr. Backlund, you're going to be in the background doing these, uh, exercises. And we're going to say you've been at it for hours and we're going to make it look like you're drenched in sweat. So we're going to spray you down with this water bottle. And he goes, Oh no, no, I need the sweat to be authentic. And he did it for hours to actually sweat. Is that the way you remember this? Because this is freaking hysterical. Conrad, I've told this story a couple of times, so I won't read be repetitive, but in European trips, getting in at midnight or one and having a five o'clock wake up and, and everybody just gets off the bus, had a few cocktails, lay down for a couple of hours and get back and go. Many a morning, I've heard good old buddy Bob, we were in next door rooms, him doing a step up for a half hour before he catches the bus because he's going to get his physical, his cardio conditioning in every day. So he takes it very serious. So here's an, an opportunity in the creative room. Hey, let's just take this to real life. We're, we're shooting a scripted sports entertainment television show. So Bob, here's what we have laid out. Look, you don't really have to do the two hours. We're just going to say that. And he goes, Oh no, Conrad, his physical condition at, I'm sure he's still this way. I'd, I'd love to see Bob uh, lately, but it's, it's, I hate to use the word unbelievable. That's the, but it's unbelievable how good a shape he was in and probably still is it. You just can't put it into words. He can do the Harvard step test up and down, up and down, up and down. Like we breathe. It, it's unbelievable. There's a video clip, uh, that is part of his research and Conrad. I'm sure we'll clip this up. Um, but you'll see him in the background of a pre-tape and young Jeremy Borash is smiling from ear to ear. And, uh, we got Chris Saban. It's pretty cool integration. Conrad, we got GameStop. Again, these are early days of Spike, so we got a GameStop integration and JB, but Bob is in the back corner, and literally during pre-tapes, if somebody had a bust, not old Bobby back. He's going to keep on rolling through the bust and let us chat. He literally would stay in the background doing the Harvard step test. And as they say in the biz, that's a shoot, brother. <laughs> well, there's some other Go ahead. Some other silliness on this show. Jeremy Borash walks into the men's bathroom. Of course, he has the camera with him because that's what Jeremy does. Sure. Uh, and he came across Eric Young cleaning a toilet. A toilet. And Borash says, "Man, you got to get out of this contract with Robert Rude Inc." And Borash says, "There's nothing he can do." Uh, Christian is going to call Abyss to the ring. Styles is with Christian. Abyss is a little hesitant to enter, and Christian says they're more than a team; they're family. And he told him to take his rightful spot standing behind the champion. Then Sting's music plays. He walks out to the stage, says he's tired of being led around and told what to do. He said after Sunday night, he's seen the light and he's a new man. This is the final piece of his past is to get out there for his own good. And it's the most important one of all, but that's say that will be saved for another day. So there's some back and forth here. Um, and ultimately Sting says, why wait until next week? Let's do it now. And the show ends with a three second brawl before there's an adrenaline rush recap video of all the guys 
in the match here or in the mix. You got Christian Abyss, AJ Styles, Sting. Um, what do you think of that presentation here? It just feels I don't know, kind of thrown together. Am I off base here? Man, again, or I sound like a broken record on this. It is so damn challenging. And as we dove back in to the one hour era uh, of impact, it's, it's just, it's just difficult. You watch, uh, rampage these days. It's really, it's just hard. Um, and trying to get, look, matches don't get talent over. They never will. And they never have as far as television, two to three minutes. Now, if you go 20, 25 minutes and tell a hell of a story and no matter if you win or lose, if the people are emotionally invested, that, that works, that, that, that is a real good investment. But in TV time, look, sting was already over and we're building a story and Christian was weaving his, and he's a great talker still it reading it back and, and reliving my mind. And I watched a couple of clips. God, it felt like a, a lot of things we did were just super rushed because we were, you know, 42 minutes of time in an hour to trying to tell probably four stories a show. Just so difficult. So the main event the next week on March 22nd is a hell freezes over match, which is Christian and styles versus sting and abyss. Meltzer said it was okay, but it did feel rushed for all the buildup. As you said. But one of the little twists is Jim Mitchell returns and he's got an older woman and Abyss is going to chase after her. Meltzer says they don't outright say it was Abyss's mother, but apparently that's who it's supposed to be. And they certainly would have led one to believe it. Sting then had to fight off both Christian and styles. Finally, Steiner came out, hit Sting with a lead pipe. And when Sting had styles in the Scorpion Deathlock, so styles pinned Sting. What do you think about Mitchell coming back here? And was there ever any consideration to involving Paul bear or something like that? I mean, he's still around in this era. Yeah, but no. And and again, I know, uh, as you've referenced from time to time, it's a uh, undertaker Kane deal, but integrating the mom and, and the, the lady that we had playing a business mom. Yes. A little bit over the top, but I, I was a fan of, you can't be, you got, it's what we do. Wrestling is over the top sports entertainment's over the top, but it was a, a another path we were taking with father Jim to weave the abyss storyline. So, um, but no, no, you know, no discussion with the Paul bear. I don't know exactly what his contract status or coming or going or whatever it may be, but, but there wasn't, but, um, yeah, we kicked off that with the mom returning and we're about to head down that. And again, just kind of the, um, I guess Conrad, I, I guess we should no, note that all of these impacts are a build to a lethal lockdown, mm-hmm. our version of war games. And, and so when you have sting and abyss and rhino and Christian and all that, we're trying to get that, the 10 top guys here. There you go. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 th- I think so. Like why the hell did they do that finisher? What's this building? What's that building? What's this thread here and there? We were going to a 10 man tag is the main event in uh lockdown. Uh, the next week we see Kurt angle pin abyss in eight minutes. Um, eventually Christian comes to ringside to coach abyss. Uh, eventually, as you can imagine, there's going to be some shenanigans. Tomco is going to be involved. He's actually going to knock out angle with a clipboard, uh, with the team angle contract on it. Christian gets in the ring, tells Tomco to sign the clipboard. He does punches away at angle. Rhino makes the stave. AJ's out next followed by Samoa Joe and Scott Steiner. 
And today said he never expected the team cage would compete with team angle, uh, or, or would be complete while team team angle was still in doubt. So this is sort of a, a self-contained storyline with Tomco returning. Meltzer said it was entertaining in large part because he played his part really well. And it gave Christian a chance to shine as the conniving, insecure, opportunistic champion. Chat me up about that. Why did you like the, the Christian Tomco pairing? Is it just because of their WWE relationship or was there something more to that from your perspective? I think Christian's, uh, maybe not persona, but, um, maybe it's personality, his on-screen personality. He he's, he's the glue. He can get a lot of guys involved. He did in the Tomco storyline, 90% of the talking, maybe I'm too much, but 80% of the talking, but he, he, the old proverbial, he talked for himself and for Tomco as well to, to get the thread and get the storyline and everything out. It just worked. Um, this dynamic of, uh, of team Christian and team angle, and we'll get to it in a minute, but the team, team angle was legitimately in big time jeopardy on who was going to be in it, uh, for a multitude of reasons, but one reason specifically, but as we, as he layered up Christian, was that conniving, I'm going to get everybody union, but you knew that dirty bastard was all out for himself, but he pulled it off of recruiting his henchmen. Let's talk about WrestleMania. WrestleMania at the time is the battle of the billionaires. And although a lot of people groan when they hear that, it was the most successful WrestleMania ever. A huge financial success, just gigantic. I'm not saying they haven't beat it since. But I am saying in the pay-per-view era, at that point, this was the biggest one ever. And the torch would report that TNA's morale amongst the guys was down just based on how successful mania was. And let me explain. I'm sure a lot of these guys are like, yeah, WWE is bigger, but man, we're building something. We're on our way. But then you see an event like WrestleMania and I'm sure a lot of guys go, oh man, we're a long way from being able to do that. Meltzer even says, quote, or this is uh, Wade, sorry. Phone conversations among wrestlers and personnel seem to dwell on how WrestleMania proves just how far away TNA is from being anywhere close to serious competition for WWE on a meaningful scale. Did you feel that way? Could you see how some of the guys could get a little discouraged when they see just how big and successful a WrestleMania type event is? And I don't know if it's because, uh, born and raised in the business, or it's because I had worked at WWF and WCW or been around. I never heard any of that, but I can tell you, I had conversations with Bob Carter and, and, and Dean, just anybody within that guys, we are the alternative and really embrace that they are having stadium shows. They are having, uh, you know, massive success of raw and SmackDown and their international properties and everything that goes with it. They were by the numbers at the very minimum, 10 times bigger than us financially in every category. So it wasn't really ever a, a surprise or a shock. And, and I don't really think the morale would be down because I was well aware that guys, no matter is one of my best friends, road dog or someone coming in or Monty Brown, that guys, that had an opportunity to go there, we're going to go there. It's just that simple. I mean, you, you look at the landscape today. I'm sure Cody was making a fortune at AEW for essentially one day a week. Well, he wanted to go back and be a part of a two-night event at AT&T Stadium 
and and look at just look at w, I was just looking at their 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 list of events. They're going to Vegas Stadium. They're coming here to Nashville Stadium. Um, you, you know, Mania two nights, Royal Rumble. Um, it's it's just it, it's it's a different animal in so many ways. But I never heard morale was down for us because we were again the little engine. If you came to work for us, that could. And we got on spike one hour and we knew that it was a one-year deal and we were going to up our ante there and our ratings were good and things were looking good. And we were talking to other networks. So I didn't hear about morale being down, not saying that it wasn't, but I never heard it. Let's talk about something fun that happened on the first impact from April. Uh, Nash told Sanjay Dutt he had a gimmick for him. They showed Sanjay and Nash's old Oz costume, which was made for a six foot 10, 305 pounder. So you can imagine how it looked on Dutt. It was supposed to be comedy. It had to go over 99.9% of people's heads. Nash said, I had two matches and made six figures with this costume as a joke on the Jim Hurd era WCW. But seriously, what percentage of viewers would have seen that brief glimpse of Dutt in a Mr. Wizard costume and figured why that's Kevin Nash's horrible Oz gimmick from WCW 91 that he only did a few times. It was never explained. One of the great tragedies of the wrestling business is that there have been so many successes and even more failures historically, but because almost nobody studies history, very few know the difference. They just try to figure out if it was once done, even if it was a horrible failure, it must be a good idea. Worse by being obsessed with the internet and getting over there. They do these skits that are funny to 0.1% of the audience that knows the Oz backstory while everyone else has no clue what's going on. You know, listen, I go both ways on this. On the one hand, if you're a hardcore wrestling fan, and in my opinion, if you're watching TNA, you're a hardcore wrestling fan, you know, let's make a radio analogy once upon a time. And I guess there still are two sports stations here in Huntsville when it comes to the radio and you have one, that's like a heritage sports station. That's been around for, I don't know, 50 years. And you have another that's been around for 10 or 12. Everyone knows about the 50 year station and everyone who listens to the 12 year old station knows about the 50 year old station, but everyone who listens to the 50 year old station does not know about the 12 year old station. So I'm saying all that to say, if there are casual wrestling fans watching wrestling in this era, in my opinion, they're probably watching WWE. If you're a hardcore fan though, you're probably watching TNA. And as a result, I could see that inside baseball getting a pass on a program like TNA, what say you? Oh, again, I'm going to go back to Dave's cranky. Yeah. He wanted to write something, but he's writing for his audience. So let me bitch about something. So I can tell you, I, I can't tell you how many times I would have the conversation with Dutch or Vince or any producer. And here's my philosophy on it. You know, the old proverbial, Oh, I don't watch wrestling. Oh, the other night I was flipping through the channels oh, yeah. and then tell you a six week program. But if someone is legitimately flipping through the channels and they just stop on this, can you understand it in a minute deal? And here's the deal. Here's Kevin six eleven at this time, full of gray hair. So, you know, he's been around a while, his delivery on comedies, damn good. And here's Sanjay Dutt, a well-educated street kid, street cred player from Himalaya. And he's got on this goofy outfit that literally Kevin references it. It's it, to me, it was entertaining because Sanche sitting there with his hat turned sideways, but then he's got this big, 
you don't have to call it an Ozgate, just a ridiculous looking outfit that had no street cred. So they played it up and Machismo's there and, and Kevin's there. So if you had no context, like none of Oz or any past Kevin Nash or any of that, you have a 6'11 guy saying this is going to work for you. And oh, by the way, I made six figures. It, it can exist in that bubble. Speaking of bubbles, Meltzer is in that buzzle, bu- bu- bubble so deep, he can't get out of it and just say, I'm just going to take this at face value. Was it funny or not? Okay, is it great? No, but it told the story that this big guy who has no business being in the next division or giving advice or suggestions, and he's trying to give these guys personality and fun and all that, and it was Sanjay and, and, and Machismo's reaction that I thought worked. Anyhow, so... Do you think Meltzer had a hard on for TNA in this era? Yeah, I, I do. I, I, and, and, and hard on's probably too strong. He wants to be controversial. Again, he has made a fortune for 30,000, I mean, for, for, for his 30,000 words per newsletter, whatever it is. He's made a boatload of money, but he's writing to his audience that isn't just hardcore, it's super, super hardcore that can debate the top three worst gimmicks of all time. Is it Oz and this and that? I mean, they really care about that. So Dave is writing for his audience and Dave wouldn't write in our checks. So he had his opinions, but you can call it a hard on. I just think more than anything is I want to sell. He wanted to sell newsletters. Well, I, I totally disagree. You said a minute ago that, you know, maybe hard on was too strong. I don't think there's such a thing as too hard of a, too strong of a hard on, which is why I recommend blue chew. That's right. This show and Jeff's wiener are both sponsored by blue chew time to dig yourself out of that winter hibernation boys. Spring is here. So let's get sprung with blue chew guys. Confidence can take you far in life. It can also help you in the bedroom, especially when it comes time to step up to the plate. And that's where blue chew comes in. Blue chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime day or night. So you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Now, the process is simple. You sign up at bluechew.com. You consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. And here's the best part. It's all done online. So that means no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversation, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Bluechew's tablets are made in the USA. That's right. The red, white, and blue chew. They're prepared and shipped directly to your door, all in a discreet package but there won't be anything discreet about your package. Thanks to blue chew. So if you could benefit from extra confidence, when it's time to perform blue chew can help. <laughs> we got a special deal for our listeners. Try blue chew for free. When you use our promo code, my world at checkout, just pay the $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com. The promo code is my world. And your first month is free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank blue chew for sponsoring today's podcast and Jeff's Wayne. Uh, so let, let's get back into the show here because after the whole new product integration, Conrad, you're the best. You are absolutely the best. And as you were doing the read, uh, I'm just going to dive back into this. This is our show, but, uh, Conrad, I won't get too green in here, but anyway, I got a text single baseball game tickets. I'm going to talk baseball right now. If you don't mind just yeah. for a second, single game tickets went on sale as we're recording this and they are flying off the shelves. Hey, we got the King Lawler up there. Huh? We have big sexy. We have Kevin Nash making an appearance. We have road dog. We have Mike Cardona, Corbin Burnson of major league. Anyway, baseball tickets are going off. They're, they're going crazy. And, uh, 
to, to get into it, doublejlive.com. If you want a VIP, you better get in now. I got an update on those as well, Conrad. So you did your uh, hard read, I mean, read, and I, I did my hard sell. <laughs> you know, Jeff, if you're going to all these baseball games, maybe you can just bring your own bat, blitzshoot.com, promo code MyWorld. Uh, so Austin Starr is going to beat Sinchi. It's a good match, but it's only a couple minutes on TV. Uh, star puts him in the Boston crab Backlund starts doing or stops doing his step test to throw in the towel. Of course, this is a spoof of when he lost the WWF world title to iron cheek back in 83. Of course, none of that was explained. There's zero reaction to it. According to Meltzer and very few Orlando fans would have known about this. So it's a little weird that literally everything you do here, Meltzer's critical of, but to your point, I guess that's, you know, what his job is. Sting's going to go ahead. But you know, because he's super critical and that's why I called him kind of cranky and, and we're going to get into some Keller comments that as far as he was cranky and maybe just not doing his job completely. But again, when they're, when you're having to write a newsletter in the American wrestling at this time, yes, ring of honor was there, but it was TNA and, and WWE and WWE was putting out, it's hard to debate numbers, just massive buy rates. And they, they, you know, it was an era when they were, well, I'm not going to get into politics, but when you get Donald Trump and Vince McMahon and their hair on the line and the TV goes with it, that's pop culture stuff. I mean, it's just in a big way, pop culture stuff. Let's, uh, let's talk about sting. It's revealed that turns out he is a part of team angle after all. And the show was built around Christian gloating over having a complete team of five while angle was two members short Samoa Joe and Rhino urge angle to tell them who he has in mind for the team. And angle says he'll only tell them when the time was right. Um, so sting is sort of repositioned. It's a little weird that he's kind of positioned as the water boy, but whatever. April 12th comes around. It's time for another impact. We get Samoa Joe and AJ Styles hooking it up 12 minutes. Samoa Joe pins AJ. So now his team has the advantage in the lockdown cage match. Meltzer would say this should be a huge match for TNA to market, but it was given away on TV without any hype, not only in the weeks leading up to it, but on the TV show, it headlined. Now I got to take a time out right there because on paper, that does feel like, man, that could be a pay-per-view main event, but I guess in this era, Man, we're trying to do what we can to pop a rating. Is that fair to say? For sure. And I'm not so sure Dave would have listened. If he's saying we didn't plug it within the show, he's bashing Mike Tanay. Okay. And I feel very sure that Mike Tanay shoehorned it. I mean, he got it in every mention possible throughout the hour. Um, you know, but our style of programming and formatting and, again, back to 42 minutes – we couldn't sit on a billboard. You you see raw nowadays and they have an opening segment and then the main events coming, you know, either at the top of the hour, or top of the second hour. And, and, and they have a, we call them billboards, like literally a 30 second billboard to read what's coming up just in this show. That's a real luxury. We just didn't have that. So for Dave's liking, we didn't get to promote AJ Joe, but we did our best. <laughs> I want to mention too, you know, the, the match starts and a minute into it, you guys go to commercial. What's the strategy there? Get the action going was, was 
one of those things. Uh, a lot of times there was a real juggling match match on again. This is one hour, so I don't know if we did this live to tape. When I say that is, I don't know if Mike and Don voiced it over back in Nashville or if they actually did it in Orlando and we had to get what we, you know, what it was. I, I don't know. But a lot of times we would have music and entrance and bit, get both guys in the ring. And before the bell happens, folks, we're going to go to commercial break and come back. You're not going to miss any of the action. There was always a debate. Do we get the action going? You know, nowadays they have picture in a picture and you see action throughout. These days, you just we we didn't have that luxury. There was a lot of what ifs, but I, I know this: if it's a match you really want to see, God, it would kill me when we would have to go to a, a commercial break so early because you're as a performer, you you kind of got to have a minute and a half doesn't get it. If you have about three three and a half, you can kind of get your story at least chapter one written, and then go to break. But man, it's difficult. So let's talk about the match. Joe's going to backdrop out of a styles clash attempt, then hit a muscle buster slap on the rear naked choke. And AJ taps out. And when team cage walks to ringside, it's angle sting and rhino running out to stop them. But then your music plays Meltzer says you come out looking like Johnny Fairplay from survivor with muscles. And, uh, he bashed, you bash styles over the head with a guitar then uh, have Joe make the cover for the pin. The ref counts to three as Angle and Rhino are entering the ring. You're smiling, walking to the back, and you hold up your hand, indicating you're the fifth member of the team. Meltzer would say, good action in the match, but in the TNA impact setting, it just doesn't ever get to that point of feeling consequential. This feels like, you know, and, and unfortunately, for better or worse, for that quote-unquote smart fan, Meltzer has been the opinion shaper, you know, if, if he comes out and he likes it, then, then, then those fans like it. And I'm one of them, by the way, uh, if, if Meltzer says, oh, this is a great match, then for instance, if he rates something five stars, I'm going to go out of my way to see it. I might disagree with it, but I'm still going to go seek it out. Bingo. And, there, there, can you say that again? Cause I think that is, is. I, th- I, th- I think it is the opinion shaper, what you just said. I, I kind of, th- th- and Dave, rightly so. It's well, like a movie he- critic. I don't mean to cut you off, but like if Megan and I, listen, there's so many content opportunities these days, but yes. if, if I see the, the tomato meter, all right, like from Rotten Tomatoes, and it got 96%, and this other thing we're thinking about watching got 32%, if I'm going to roll the dice and spend my time on one or the other, I'm going to go with the one that the critic said was better. And that's just the nature of the beast when we don't have enough time in the day to consume all the content that's out there. So I'm saying all that to say for Meltzer to say something like good action in the match, but in the TNA impact setting, it just doesn't ever get to that point of feeling consequential. It makes it seem as if it's written here. Hey, it's a good match, but you don't have to go out of your way to see it. And the hardcores myself included are probably like, okay, it's skippable. And a lot of us, I say us being wrestling fans. I know that you're not necessarily in that bubble anymore, Jeff, but we are, I'm I'm still a wrestling fan. Hold on now, pal. Well, no, hang on. But what I'm saying is a lot of us don't have wrestling friends back in the day. Maybe we didn't, if you like a match or don't like a match, you can pick up and call 900 people in the industry and say, what'd you think about so-and-so? However, Uh, maybe all of us grew up as wrestling fans and we had wrestling fans that we were friends with as kids, 
when I was getting the observer delivered to my house in 07, I didn't have any wrestling friends. I was watching it largely by myself. No one else in my life really cared about wrestling. Yes. I had friends who I grew up with, but we sort of move away. He goes his way. I go my way. He's watching. Sometimes I'm watching other times, but it wasn't like this lifelong passion that you've grown up with. So if I'm flipping through the observer and maybe I missed it and he says, it just doesn't ever get to the point of feeling consequential. I'm like, okay, well I can skip it. I don't have somebody to call and say, Hey man, what do you think about that? AJ Samoa joke. I'm just trying to explain my circumstance at the time. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners shared the same one for sure. And that's, I mean, that's, he earned that right because he's been consistently putting out his content for years and years. Uh, but you know, the flip side of that is in the TNA setting, you got to remember this was a studio setting and, and yes, you know, WCW worldwide had done studios, all this, but we're our, our competition. If you even want to call it, that is the big arena shows of Monday night raw. So you have four or 5,000 people or 3000 versus 1000 or 800, whatever it is. It's a, it's a radically different, not only visual, but audio that you may not notice, but the audio it's just different in a studio setting. You can't create that arena sound. I want to mention, you know, what we're talking about at the end of the day, is just an opinion, but we often go to Meltzer's report. So there it is. Uh, Wade Keller, your boy or your dad's boy would write a story about TNA called totally obsolete. Quote, the frustration in TNA is said to be palpable signing Samoa Joe, the Dudleys, Christian and Kurt Angle and moving to prime time was supposed to improve things more than a couple tenths of a rating point each week. Although Dixie Carter and Jeff Jarrett keep buy rate figures private, there is zero sense within TNA or from outside sources of any momentum in that area. It is time to re-examine the business plan. TNA's business plan, as initially explained by founder Jerry Jarrett in these very pages, was to fill the gaping hole left behind by WCW. The argument goes that there are millions of people who used to watch pro wrestling on Monday nights and hundreds of thousands who used to order pay-per-views once a month who were not accounted for in WWE's post WCW ratings. So TNA could swoop in, offer a different yet similar product. And those who weren't thrilled with WWE would see TNA as a viable alternative. In theory, it should have been easy to reach the 2.0 ratings level that would have made them a serious player in the cable ratings world. Enough of a success story to attract multiple sponsors and watch by enough eyeballs to draw profitable PPV by pay-per-view buy totals, which would put them perpetually in competition with top level WWE names, especially those looking for lighter schedules. That was the plan. What's gone wrong in that perfect plan? A lot. For one, TNA is not WCW and it's not 2002 anymore. WCW is now a distant memory. The pro wrestling industry and pro wrestling fans have adjusted to a world dominated by the McMahon product. There are three brands to choose from each a little different from the others. And it creates for enough fans, a feeling of choice that was missing after WCW went under. What say you, Jeff, this is years before the Hardys were running around yelling obsolete. I don't know that I necessarily agree that TNA was obsolete here, but I could see where from the outside looking in, you could say, all right, this in theory should have been more successful than it actually is. Nobody experienced that more than yourself, but what do you make of sort of reading 
all of your business out there like this and the observer and the torch. I can't say that I didn't give it a second thought. I don't specifically remember the article, but it's 2007 April. So all coming up on our five year anniversary. And the real fact of the matter is we were, yeah, it's, it's pretty easy to say we were hitting month after month the most successful months that the business had ever had because our ratings and our relationship with Spike and the discussion on two hours and if they weren't, and I'm not exactly sure where we were, I'd have to drill down the months in negotiations, but if they didn't sign us, we felt we could go somewhere else. We knew that we were getting paid. We were monetizing our content like never before. Were the buy rates what we wanted? No, we always wanted more, but they consistently on a graph, I don't want to say went through the route, but no, we were in, I don't say great shape, but we were in very good shape and new things were getting better and better and better because our TV ratings and our relationship with spike. I mean, uh, said it a, a couple of minutes ago, them doing an integration, how small it may be with GameStop. And those were beginning to be, uh, I don't say every show, but more often than not, Wrangler, Five Hour Energy. We had different sponsors getting on board. And when you have advertisers wanting to advertise within your content, we knew we were on the right track. So Keller or Meltzer or anybody out there that wanted to sell newsletters and say that our, you know, TNA obsolete, I, I, I kind of say this with all due respect, you got to consider the sources and, and, you know, we've talked about who the source was at, uh, for, uh, brother Wade, it is what it is. You know, th they were hearing one narrative and, and turned it in to something they could sell their readers. Hey man, here's a scary stat. Every 10 seconds, someone becomes a victim of fraud or identity theft. But do you want to know what's worse? 23% of those people don't get their money back after the attack. Now, if you think it could never happen to you, you could be their next target, but aura can help Aura provides digital security protection to keep your online finances, personal information, and your tech all safe from online threats. It really is an all in one protection from identity theft, financial fraud, malware, scam sites, and so much more with aura. You'll get alerted to fraud and threats fast. Like if your online accounts or passwords were leaked online, or if someone tried to open a bank account in your name, Aura is easy to set up. All their plans come with a million dollars in identity theft insurance to help recover your stolen funds. And they have an experienced us-based customer support team that's got your back. Aura is a new type of security service that protects all of your online information and devices with one simple subscription with an easy online dashboard and alerts sent straight to your phone. Aura keeps you in control and guides you through solving any issues. For a limited time, Aura is offering our listeners a 30-day free trial when you visit Aura.com slash MyWorld. Go to Aura.com slash MyWorld to get complete protection, huge savings, and a 30-day free trial. That's A-U-R-A dot com slash MyWorld. Aura, the new standard in digital security. Let's, uh, let's keep it going. The torch would say word is going around in TV circles. that TNA is talking with the, my TV network, the Alliance of stations who were left without an official affiliation after the WB and UPN merged into the CW spike TV is still considered the leading contender to retain impact, but it doesn't hurt TNA to have a little leverage in negotiations 
or at least a decent fallback plan to keep them afloat. The my TV network might be great too, for a second hour of TV. If spike doesn't ante up for a second hour, TNA is working under the premise that they strongly want a second hour later this year. TNA and spike continue to mull over the idea of expanding impact to two hours later this year, or an early 08 and interviews over the last year, members of management and wrestlers alike have held to the belief that an additional hour will allow them to grow the audience and let the stories breathe as opposed to being crammed in a one hour format. What can you tell us about how, if anywhere, these negotiations with the, my TV network went. So kind of, I don't even know if you, you're aware of this. Well, do you know where Nick Khan worked before he worked for the, the current president of WWE, where he worked before he came to, uh, WWE. Uh, yeah, he was, yeah. Uh, in the, an agent. he's a television agent yeah. and maybe the best out there. Correct. I mean, he brokered the deal with, with, I mean, I don't want to get into that, but most production companies, and that's what TNA was. It was a component of it. We were a production company that produces content. You always get an agent and let the agent set up pitch meetings. And that's what they did. They brokered the deal. They agent the deal. We went to Spike and we covered that last week and got, you know, had our deal. We didn't use an agent. We just, we did not use an agent. We, me and Dixie and, and, and our attorneys, we did it ourselves, which saved minimum 10% off the top. Very, very minimum. So this go around, we started having conversations. Do we get an agent? And we met with a few, um, I, man, I need to do my research. If I don't think we ever really signed one, but that, that was a big, how do we navigate pitch meetings? Do we go get an agent and then factor that in? Are we really going to get that bump and pay? Anyway, through our entire um, relationship with Spike, Bischoff, Hervey, they came in, and but they really were, ended up being executive producers. I wouldn't really call them an agent pitch meetings and all that. So anyway, we never had an agent which I, I think is another thing that in a lot of ways you go, oh, wow, they, they pulled off a $25 million deal without an agent. That just really doesn't happen this day and age, certainly this day and age, but, you know, back then. So um, we began to strategize. Uh, I'm going to put WGN out there, my TV. My TV was a different set of circumstances because they are the the, the independent channels that were under – an agreement to distribute programming. It was a, a, a different kind of network. Uh, but yeah, we started the conversations, but the spike relationship was so front and center that we never really ever. We, and I'll, I'll say this, a bidding war certainly never started. Spike wanted us. It's fair enough to say we never got into a bidding war. Let's talk about, uh, the two hour dilemma. I mean, it does feel like, um, with this expanded roster, I mean, there's just not enough and Tony Khan's probably feeling this and has for a while. There's not enough time to feature everybody, right? There's just, I mean, you can't make it happen for everybody. And the real challenge is for us. Now, Tony does it four times a year and he's got some TV specials, but as far as getting the consumer to hit by in a world that was not streaming, it wasn't the Apple generation. You had to call your local legal, local cable company or satellite, whatever it may to do that. And you've got to tell 
episodic stories with multiple talent, but I mean, you can see AEW right now, they essentially lead with the same five to seven talent every week because of numbers. It's a, it was very, very difficult. I'll say that to, again, it's, you can't ever serve two masters period. That's scriptural based, but it's also business based. It, it just is. You, you cannot, okay, we're going to serve the television rating master or the pay-per-view master. And we knew our ultimate windfall was going to be rights fees. And so we always kind of leaned to that, but we couldn't just throw our hands up and say, ah, don't worry about the pay-per-view. We're just going to get numbers, man. It was a man. And that's one of the things I love about this podcast, because it gives me a chance to really look at my own business decisions and go, Hmm. That promotion that we're <clears throat> not starting Conrad. You definitely not that. starting. <laughs> definitely not. And you, we don't have any announcements coming up. Do we definitely not running shows this summer? Definitely not for sure. A hundred percent not happening. Okay. Let's move on. <laughs> Is uh, it windy in your office? Man, it's, something's in allergies. my eyes. Something. Your eyes are winking and pollen's everywhere. Uh, so the observer would say TNA's annual all cage match lockdown pay-per-view featured the same good and same bad that has been the case with its offerings the past few months. As usual, the good is the work of the wrestlers and there were positive signs. The crowd of 5,600 paid and probably over 6,000 in the arena with a strong 1400 ticket walk up at the family arena in St. Charles, Missouri was by far the strongest the company's ever done. It wasn't that long ago that some WWE pay-per-view shows were doing in the same range when it came to paid attendance. Of course, it was the first time ever anywhere near St. Louis. There are a lot of strong late publicity in town. Kevin Nash and Scott Steiner appeared in Cardinals uniforms that afternoon at the game before a sellout at Bush stadium for Jackie Robinson day. They also announced for three innings on the broadcast. There was a healthy, lengthy television news interview with Kurt angle. So. Lots of PR here. Who was doing that for you guys? Uh, well, Dixie by trade. I mean, that was her original in she's a PR agent and a damn good one and knows how to massage and squeeze blood out of a tournament, turn a turnip on, on getting, um, a, a lot of non-paid advertisement. Ross Foreman was our publicity guy who's still with impact. He had the baseball connection in later, you know, with the Eckstein and all that. That was the car cards connections. I think episodically, as we'll get into the show, the walk-up, and I know these are still, or not still, it, it may not sound like, but a 1,400-ticket walk-up, even 15 years ago, that there was some creative that worked. Our advertising worked. Uh, our talent, I mean, machismo, we're going to get into that. I thought the the you know, the team, the heels had that set base team Christian, the main event, we knew who that was. And then we stair-stepped it up and added and added. And I was the fifth guy. So from an episodic nature, we, again, we, we were, I don't care to say we, all of us were rowing in the right same direction, but the proof was in the pudding. We did for us great business. I mean, great business. I mean, uh, Meltzer even said, I don't say we compared to, you know, paid audiences on their pay-per-views, but we, we you know, 6,000 paid is a good number. 
from the torch. Jeff Jarrett arrived at the family arena a few hours before the show started. He then met with all the wrestlers involved in his main event during the course of the pay-per-view to discuss the spots, logic holes, and the finish of the lethal lockdown match. Many wrestlers believe that Jarrett insulates himself from the rest of the roster, save for the four or five people he talks to on a regular basis. It's become an us versus them mentality in the locker room where wrestlers are content to collect their paycheck, play a role on TV and have fans boost their egos with events like a fan fest where praise is heaped on everyone, but otherwise their loyalty to the company is dampened by a lack of leadership from the leader and part owner, Jeff Jarrett. Dixie tries to unify the company with her gregarious and optimistic attitude behind the scenes. So who's shitting on you to Wade? Do you have an idea? Conrad spill it. Well, as my buddy here, help me navigate these waters. Cause I did not, I didn't want this episode to be all of all about the discussion here, but we finally gotten to the point from a personal standpoint, January, February, March, April, and of course into May were by far the most challenging times of my life. Jill took a turn for worse in late January, got worse in February, a couple of hospital visits in March and April 1st, what an April fool's day. Um, she went into ICU and they have no idea how she survived that. Cause her lungs had filled up, uh, with fluid. So from April 1st till May 1st, all of these TVs we've talked about the pay-per-view and, um, and during that time, uh, you know, th- this era, if you will, we did creative at my house downstairs. You've been here, but downstairs where we did creative. And so, um, the guys look, they knew the house well enough and let themselves in and they did creative downstairs. And I was four or five miles across town at hospital. Um, and so when I was revealed, as we talked about being the fifth member, um, I left, um, Nashville, a late flight, I say late flight, got me into Orlando two or three o'clock, went to the building, did the TV, Bob Ryder booked me how I could, this travel story is unreal, but it's time for another deal. But I jumped on an American. I flew from Orlando to Miami, Miami to Nashville, back into town. Um, so that was one of the TV trips. Uh, and then I had a private plane, uh, the Sunday for the pay-per-view that freaking asshole Keller wants to paint that I arrived four or five hours. I took a private plane and flew up, left the hospital about two o'clock short flight to St. Louis, got off, had my bag, got there. I love abyss for more reasons than people can imagine, but I had, uh, and he was a part of creative at that time. And I basically said, abyss, you line up everything, every move. When I get to the building, Let's get everybody in the room, but you have it laid out for me and I'll do whatever in the hell you tell me to do. I trust you. You, you know, my strengths and weaknesses, you lay it out for me. I'll do that. I'll get on the plane and go back. And you know, when you read something and I read something, I read that Keller comment and I 
we know, look, it's obvious my dad uh, delivered that to him, but you talking about completely missing the boat. I showed up at the building because I left ICU and went back, and there was a debate, and Vince and Dutch were like, what do you want to do? They both, you know, it, they, it, from the house, and I, I'm like, look, let's go on with that, what you have written, and if something happens and we can't, it, look, it, it's life. Okay, so there's a substitution. It's not the end of the day. Well, what, why, why not tell the guys what's going on? They knew. All the, ta- I, I, all the talent knew. Every, there was Eric Young probably spent out of those 30 days. I bet he showed up 10 times. Jeremy Borash, Russo. So it wasn't a secret. This is just Conrad. Kind of, when I tell you that they, I think he put in there about morale and show up and put a check that during this era. Now look, they can, people can put on a, bullshit face. And we all have done that, but you talk about a 180. shame on Wade. You talk about doing zero research. Everyone knew Bob Dixie, Janice, Dean, the talent, the production. We're going to get into this freaking electrified cage. I just wish they would have reached out to me because that was a complete debacle, not putting it all on production shoulders. I'm going to take his much responsibility, but you talk about a complete lack of communication. That's I wasn't around I, and they didn't feel comfortable reaching out to me, which I stressed to Rudy and Dutch and whoever else, look, you got to ask me, but look, they're, they're juggling. I get it. I'll defend them. They're together. Like, okay, let's only bring stuff that we really need to address and not address and this. And I mean, it was Conrad. It, it, I mean, it, it's, not only every, everybody knew when I got to the building, people would come up, Craig Jenkins. They didn't have to say anything. They just shake my hand, give me a hug and move on. Well, hang on now. It almost sounded like you were insinuating that your dad is the person who told Wade that morale was bad, but your dad's not there. Oh, I, I can't, I, I don't know who said what, but. So Wade can write complete fiction. You're right. I, I don't know. I'm just wondering, I, really I mean, do you know, I mean, listen, I get, and I'm sure Wade I mean, has other sources that, sure. that, Hey, was Jeff there? Nope. He didn't get there till four o'clock. Okay. He didn't ask why he just knew that I didn't get there till four or five o'clock. You know, when th- there's a card and I've got one of the things in my room that the, there's a trading card then and now. Uh, and w- remember when you, you made the comment and I was going to bring it up then about the Johnny Fairplay hair or whatever it may be. Yeah. It's real difficult to get a good shower and, and get a haircut. <laughs> I mean, my hair looked like a train wreck. So if you want to have a good laugh at old double J, take a look at that hair during this era. But you know, it was, it's hard to do that in the hospital. Yeah. That, that, I mean, that's the real reality of it. I mean, uh, I, when I come out on impact, uh, the fifth man, I, you know, I can remember putting together, no, you know, just a quick carry on bag and there did the TV and back lack of leadership. Yeah. I just come. I don't know what to say. Let's get into the pay-per-view. Chris Saban's going to win a five way over shark boy, Alex Shelley, Jay lethal as black machismo and Sanjay Dutt. They go 15 minutes and 50 seconds. 
Uh, Dave called it a really strong opener and he says, I was so dead wrong on the Randy Savage gimmick. The crowd took to lethal huge. It's almost uncanny just how identical lethal can do the signature Savage stuff. It's funny because as lethal, I always thought his punches needed work, but when he copied the Savage style punches, he does them perfectly. It's not just he copies Savage's moves and mannerisms. He does them exact, but the overall ability to put it off and doing a match. He's done the Savage impersonations in the dressing room for years. The only question is the legs of the gimmick as it's that Eugene role in WWE where he's super popular as a cult deal for a short period. And then it almost becomes an albatross. Um, in his pre-match interview, I cracked up when he called Letitia Liz. He wears a complete savage outfit, has the same kind of hair, the same facials and nearly identical voice on interviews. So I like that Dave is at least acknowledging, Hey man, this is great stuff. I think we all know that, but what a kaleidoscope of talent here. Chris Saban, shark boy, Alex Shelley, Jay lethal as black machismo and Sanjay Dutt. Um, Saban kicks lethal in the leg, which somehow winds up, uh, with lethal's leg stuck in the cage. Saban let goes falling to the floor. He wins. So three and a half stars in the observer, two and three quarter stars on the torch. Great way to open it. And I don't think you and I have enough time in the day to talk about how much we love black machismo. And here's another, like, I, cause I used to, there were some folks internally and I think even Dixie and this ain't a knock or anything like that, but different folks in the, uh, in the office, I would say, if you've never heard of Randy Savage, black machismo is highly entertaining. Yes. It just, it is, it, he oozed charisma with us. Yes. And, and, and here's to Dave, look in the studio and it's, it's kind of by default. Oh, it's the studio sitting so not getting over. It's hard to deny 6,000 people. Loving just it. Loving it. And there's that, that's, that's where Dave goes. Oh, I, I better correct myself. Cause I was bashed at so many for the last three or four weeks, or I will lose credibility and don't sell. Name, like and trust. Name, like, and trust. So uh, the other thing that's notable here in the observer quote, the other notable thing is Saban and Shelley were tremendous doing double team moves and the crowd looked like it could get into them as a tag team. Just from this match. My thought was they could get them in the tag title picture. This is way before motor city machine guns, but pretty fucking cool to go back and look at this and see the beginnings of motor city machine guns and black machismo, uh, and in front of the biggest crowd TNA ever had, it's got to make you feel pretty good. Given all the, I don't know, less than awesome stuff in real life. Yeah. The, and the thing was the backland stuff, the, um, the stuff that, oh God, that's terrible. We, Jesus, I'm telling you, you got to have, we, we have to, we had to have patience to build characters, machismo, Saban, all the different ones. You just, and they're all X division guys. All they can do is flippity floppity. No, here's five guys that we're going to tell a story with and develop characters over time. Didn't happen overnight, but we began to get there. Let's talk about what's next. We got Robert Rude pinning Petey Williams in 10 minutes and 14 seconds. Uh, Meltzer says the story here was that Eric young and Mrs. Brooks were at ringside. Brooks was having a hell of a time keeping her dress from falling down and, uh, off of her boobs. That's a real sentence. Williams was a little sloppy in a few spots. One spot I really liked was when Williams went to drop kick rude in the back and the drop kick was just short 98% of the time in pro wrestling on a missed move like that. The guy will sell it rude thinking on his feet without missing a beat. Didn't sell it and immediately took over. That is the sign of a veteran right there. Is it not? 
you know, Bobby was a veteran early in his career. Yeah. Uh, Scott Demore tells the story that in Nashville, he did a pre-tape in the asylum days. And I looked at Scott and I'm like, wait, he's not signed, but he has had a tryout at WWE because Bobby really checks every box and has, in my opinion, from the day he walked through the doors, he can work, he can talk, he understands the psychology and he's a pros pro and he's going to bust his ass and really multi-dimensional. He can play a, wear a lot of different hats, a good singles guy, a good tag guy. Uh, but yeah, good old Bobby Roode. Really a good match. Two stars in the observer star and a half in the torch. The finish would see Williams go for the Canadian destroyer, but Roode blocks it. Then uses a fisherman suplex called the payoff. And that's the pin. Next up, we got Gail Kim beating Jackie Moore in seven minutes and 13 seconds. Moore throws Kim over the announce table into Mike Tanay's lap. Moore took Tanay's water bottle and poured it on Kim. Meltzer would say the match was considerably better than most of WWE's women's matches. They worked a hard, stiff style with one big move being Kim using a missile dropkick. I'll bring this up because the WWE's women's division at the time was second behind TNA. Everyone agreed TNA had the better women's division. And it's not like they had more women. They just had better wrestling. Meltzer gave it two and a quarter. Torch gave it a star and a quarter. Um, Kim slams the open door back onto Moore's face. Kim looks like she's about to walk out to win and then changes her mind. Climbs up almost to the top of the cage and comes off with a cross body block for the pin. This is the first ever all women's cage match in TNA. And these ladies really go out and kick ass. I think it's fair to say Gail Kim is the cornerstone of this division for you guys. These type matches, I just find it. I, look, when WWE is to see a talent that they let go in Gail Kim yep. and Jackie, of course, but Gail climbing to the top of the cage, it's captivating. It's compelling. It's mesmerizing. At this time, it was new and fresh and, oh my gosh, they're not divas. The, the, it, it was, in the words of Vince, good shit, pal. It, it just really, really good. And I don't think you can heap enough praise really on both performers. Gail uh, had, 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 I don't want to call it unique athleticism, but yes, she had striking, you know, hurricane running off the top and all those kind of things. But Jackie, Jackie, you know, to this day, she, she could throw a punch like a guy. And so when you watched her perform, you'd say, she's beating the hell out of that girl. It was just good chemistry. And then put them in a cage and they're not, you know, slamming cage doors on each other. And I mean, they're doing, I hate to say this. And a I cage match. Yeah, they're exactly. They are performing like the males do or yeah. the guys do. It's a regular which, cage match. Which you didn't see prior to this very often or, or ever. But on this stage, hats off. I just think it, in, in a lot of ways, and I know revolutionize is a really strong world, but it really turned a lot of heads. Time to tell you about something I'm super passionate about protecting your family. Yes, this is a life insurance ad for goliathlife.com. But to me, this is really about peace of mind. Think about insurance for a second. We all get medical and auto insurance, yet we never even know if we're going to have a need for it. Let me let you in on a little secret. You need life insurance. We're all going to die. Now, as you let that reality sink in, think about what would happen if your family stopped having your income tomorrow. If you don't have a plan for that, you need to visit goliathlife.com. And I mean, right now, 
And just personally, I've lost two friends in their forties this past year and a half. And I don't even want to think about what their families would be going through. Had they not had life insurance. If you don't have it, get it, protect your family. And I suggest you go to goliathlife.com because they've made the process of getting affordable life insurance. Super easy. Goliath life streamlines the life insurance process by allowing you to get quotes for more than 20 carriers within minutes. And you'll pick your terms and payments to fit your budget. You pick your price, you start the online application immediately, and even schedule the medical exam to come to you. And I've done it. They sent someone to my office. I skipped the phone calls, the paperwork, and the crazy invasive conversations. Goliath Life makes buying life insurance simple. There's no hidden fees, no upsells, no hassle. Hell, not even a phone call. Goliath Life is life insurance in your hands on your time. Get multiple quick quotes right now from the comfort of your own home and begin your application in a few easy clicks right now at goliathlife.com. Next up, we've got Sinshi, the guy we know is Loki, taking on Austin Starr, who we know is Austin Aries. They go just under 10 minutes. Bob Backlund's the referee. Meltzer says they had their usual good action, but they're overshadowed by Backlund's comedy gimmick. <sighs> Star shoves Backlund into the ropes. Sinshi lost his balance. He's crotched and falls into the ring. Star uses a 450 splash. Sinshi kicks out. Star shoves Backlund for not counting fast enough. Backlund shoves him back. Star loses his balance. And Sinshi uses a rolling reverse cradle for the pin. Three quarters in the observer. Two and three quarters in the torch. In Ring of Honor, this would have been a main event. And it would have had 30 minutes. And they would have stole the show. But this is not Ring of Honor. This is not a niche thing. We're trying to be more mainstream and we got to have a little bit of fun. So there's Backlund. I like Bob Backlund and I like the use of him, but not here. In my opinion, it should have been another match. What say you? Missed the boat. And here's where I look at. I, I don't know if I, I doubt I said it this night, but I know in hindsight, not long after this, we could have gotten, um, as Dutch would say, you can get to the same place that you want to go. Just take this street instead of that street. Had Bob as the, we'll call it special enforcer at ringside, use another ref. And when we're ready to do a, a high spot or a high spot into a finish, then use Bob. Don't let him be in the ring with both talents. Yeah, I'm with you. It was, it was overuse of Mr. Backlund. For instance, and I'm not saying, you know, I'll try to be negative. Use him in the Robbie Roode, Petey Williams match. Yeah. Next up, James Storm and Chris uh, Harris in a blindfold match. As a kid, I saw a blindfold match once with Rick Martell and Jake the Snake Roberts. And as a kid, I said, I hope I never have to see another blindfold match. But we got one here. Mm. Meltzer would say immediately it was the Fire Russo chance as both put their hoods on. Worse, even though it was dying anyway, the the hoods kept falling off, which also looks second rate. I don't know if I've seen a match on pay-per-view that the crowd turned on completely on to this degree since Tomco, Stevie Richards, and Drag years ago. There was loud booing and boring chants as well as we want wrestling chants. Harris did get the crowd sort of into it by pointing so as the baby face, they would tell him where Storm was. But whatever moments the crowd wasn't booing were fleeting. At one point, both climbed the ropes and Harris speared storm. The hoods came off on landing Harris, not being able to see who was attacking, put the ref in the sharpshooter with the ref face down storm, took off his hood, super kicked Harris, put the hood back on and covered Harris and the ref 
recovered to count the pin. The observer gave it negative two stars. The torch gave it negative four stars. Meltzer would say the crowd grew impatient and chanted. We want action. They moved after the first lockup between the two and they crawled around the ring more. The easier fans got into cheering for Harris. Whenever he pointed towards storm, when storm got a hold of Harris, he swung at him, but Harris ducked fans are loudly chanting boring. This is just less than awesome. Someone <laughs> stop. This was a chant. Wade would say, amen. He, he also says, you can't picture how bad this is without seeing it. It's almost worth ordering the show just to see how bad it is. If this isn't the worst match of the year, please God help us. Those are Wade's words. In hindsight, you got two great characters here, two great performers, two TNA E originals. Fans are behind them. They know the story. They get it. But Lord bless their heart. This blindfold match. My turn, pal. Yep. Uh, going back to that situation during the month of April of 07. Look there. Blindfold matches have to have a great, great baby face talker to get the stipulation over. Not good. Great. Because the, Psychology is when I get my hands on you and that's it. I get my hands on you. I'm going to kill you. So I'll put a blindfold. If you put, you know, that, that whole mentality psychology. So not only, uh, you know, Chris can talk good, but not great. And I think he'd tell you that to this day. Uh, and, and James get, but you know, the, 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 the talking him in the building, not enough time. But I think the overriding thing was, and this is where I don't want to say creative through their hands up. I kind of feel I did, or they never wanted to see Chris and James fight each other to begin with. In my opinion, they go. did not want to see the team break up. Both guys were adamant. I think they weren't getting along at the time or on Rocky patch. And look, they were America's most wanted and got over, but let's go our separate ways. And I know tags don't always get on TV. And so it's a pay thing and all the, I'll call them right reasons, but all the wrong reasons, they should have never split up, but split them up, take it on the road. Our TNA faithful wanted to see the branded. They wanted every match. They, and me and Jeremy used to laugh as long as they have the opportunity to chant TNA, TNA, TNA during the show, during your match, you got them. These kind of matches are episodic and storytelling and you got to get crowd engagement to our TNA faithful and pointing and this and that. Then when you do get your hands on the talent, you can't do a lot of running against the ropes and high flying and any action. It, it's, it's a, by design, the stipulation constricts pops. So Conrad, Wade, Dave, the whole dressing room, and especially Chris and James, they knew it sucked. God bless them. Swing and a miss. Is this the worst you've ever felt for a talent in TNA? Like when you're watching on a monitor or something? Ooh, that's taking in a lot of ground, pal. Uh, I didn't watch it backstage again. I'm getting ready for my match. And, you know, I did not watch it live. I heard about it live. Like, oh, my God. Did you watch the tape later? Yes. And and Dutch, you know, and I I bet I bet I didn't watch it all the way through because I I can remember telling Dutch, damn, them dumb sons. 
this angle is not going to get over. They don't want to see America's most wanted fight each other. Some teams you split up because you think, oh, that's what's best for business, and they people regurgitate it. You you really have to tell the right story when there's a tag a baby face tag team that's over. Now, if it's a heel team that's over, it's easy to flip one on baby face because you can tell that story easier. But when you have a baby face tag team and any creative folks out there. Lessons don't become hard lessons unless lots of folks failed. When you have a babyface tag team and you're going to split them up, you better have the characters cast right and there better be a good reason and you better have milked all you can. If not, the people are going to say, no, I like to see them together. That's my opinion, Conrad. Hmm. You didn't like my opinion. No, I like it. I'm just... I wish I could put it into words. <clears throat> I need, I need everyone to go watch this match. <laughs> Throw it in your Google machine. Just take a look. These guys are doing their best, but ultimately I, I can't even say it's their fault. And you blamed creative. Uh, I'm I, part of creative. Yeah. But you were not as engaged in this era as you could have been. So you faded the heat to everybody else. I get it. Conrad, uh, speaking of go, going out of your way, do you know I continue to get all kind of feedback on our moon? When we do these links, folks, yeah. I check, if you're people love that, they are going and checking out the Lance Russell stuff, the moon dog stuff. Conrad, you've done this podcast thing a while. I'm, I'm beginning to understand that. <laughs> I'm, I'm hopeful that, uh, maybe one day, Mr. Scott DeMore, if he's listening, will help it make it, give us an opportunity to make it easier. For some yeah. of our listeners to see some of this stuff. I agree. Shout out to Scott, who maybe is now getting a text message from someone. <laughs> uh, next up, Christopher Daniels beats Jerry Lynn in 13 minutes and 29 seconds. They had a tough task because the crowd was dead coming off the last match. Plus people don't know how to take Daniels. They want to like him, but he's a heel. Lynn is good, but he hasn't got the serious push in a long time. One of the highlight spots was Daniels doing a urinagi off the top rope. Lynn tries a pile driver while standing on the top rope, but Daniels laid Lynn out in escaping. Daniels then used his last rights for the pin. Uh, Wade gave it two and a quarter stars. Dave gave it two and three quarter stars. Two unbelievable all-time talents, Christopher Daniels and Jerry Lynn, these days both doing their things behind the scenes for AEW. But I guess if you're going to send two guys out there to try to win the crowd back, well, these two are probably as good as it gets, huh? Phenomenal. Both of them. And Chris, I think we had this conversation, me and Chris and Buds, but he was so good in the ring and dynamic and best moonsault ever. There's nothing not to like about the best moonsault ever or or a number of other moves in his arsenal. And I'm not going to say this hurt him, but trying to generate heel heat and I despise this guy, and I want to see him get his ass kicked. The the verbal play and 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 depth and dynamic of a character comes into play when you're that good athletically. And I think Chris had that challenge, and Dave was right. Uh, Jerry hadn't had much of a push here, so you know J- Jerry, uh, awesome in the ring, but you know not a lot of story behind this match is what I'm trying to say. But they woke him up. And I, we knew they would. That match, I'm sure, was put there by design. I smell Dutch and, and the formatting of this show all over it. I can just see. We need to wake them up after a blindfold match. Regardless, with action, I say. 
not that, that we planned is going to be a dud, but uh, uh, blindfold matches don't have a lot of action. Jerry and Chris Daniels damn sure will, and it'll be great, crisp action. Next up, we got Team 3D winning the NWA Tag Team titles from Homicide and Hernandez in 15 minutes and 36 seconds. Meltzer would say just a bad presentation of what very well could have been considered a strong match under normal circumstances. There was supposed to be an electric part of the cage. The idea was guys are wearing rubber boots and they would put on rubber gloves if they needed to climb. It was just too hokey, especially when the first electricity spot was a dud and brought out fire Russo chance. Devon bled like crazy. And they brought the lighting down, but it didn't come across that strong on television. There's a minor problem as Conan was supposed to be interfering when the cage door got opened, leading to Hector Guerrero stopping him. Guerrero instead decked the guy who wheeled Conan out. He was supposed to take the rubber gloves from Conan, which is why he'd be able to touch the fence. He didn't, but then didn't get fried since it wasn't part of the match. They did a lot of big spots, but it was hopeless. They finished with an incredible spot that did get over Hernandez at nearly 300 pounds climbed to the top of the cage. He went to splash Steve on through the table, but moved and he went through the table. It appeared that the finish was supposed to be team 3d putting homicide into the cage and electrifying him. But by this point, the people were booing it like crazy as he came off for a 3d on him and they dropped him They then set up the 3d for the finish. The people did pop for the title change after all this. But a lot of fans left after this match ended. Meltzer gave it a star. The torch gave it two stars. So by God, it's not enough that we've got a whole night full of cage matches. Now we've got blindfolds and electrified fences and both get chance for you to fire the booker. On some level, this has to be one of the most frustrating times of your life, because a lot of times when things are hard in people's lives, personally, they throw themselves into their work. And sometimes when they throw themselves into their work, things are hard for them. The other direction, either way, it's like, there's no escape for old Jeffrey here. Things are tough at home and they're chanting to fire the booker and pretending to get electrocuted and their, their blindfolds are falling off and my bird's heads are falling off. A lot, Conrad. That's a dumb and uh, dumber line, and I caught it. By the way, yeah, I know. The uh, I'll get inside the um, so the electrified cage. I saw it in AAA. That's where I saw the idea months before this. I had the conversation. Go to the YouTube link or whatever. Get a link. Yeah, it was YouTube. Get a link from AAA. The electrified cage. Don't overthink it. Don't overdo it. We only need one or two spots with a little power. And and I left it at that. So let's say February or March. This is one of those moments, Conrad. I felt so bad for those guys. Yeah. Are you kidding me? LAX Conan outside Hector Guerrero at ringside Bubba and Devon, especially on pay-per-view Sundays, get ready, strapping on. They're going to go out and do their damnedest to have the very, they want to steal the show. They want to have the very best match. That's their mentality. Um, Hernandez, incredible athlete, all the pieces of the puzzle were there. And that I, I just, when I got to the building that day and they're coming at me, that was kind of the main production thing. What do we do? 
I, I felt bad and I'm just kind of throwing my hands up and saying, guys, you got to figure it out. And I knew they were Keith Mitchell had come to me and I'm like, Keith, dude, I can't, I, my brain, I, we got it. Cause the audio and are we going to dim the lights and, Oh, it was a mess, man. It's one of those things that I felt bad, really bad for the talent because the story had been built and the pay-per-view audience expected to see something as it related to the electrified cage. And we didn't need to lie. And I just remember having that conversation with, with our prop department. Don't overthink it. Don't think this thing's got to be Alcatraz or some kind of razor wire and all that. We've just got to have, and they want to put audio effects and, all kind of mess with it. And, you know, Dave saying people left after the match. No, they went to the concession stand because they knew they were going to have eight minutes to tear down the cage. But Dave's again grumpy this episode. So during this time frame, but I feel I, to this day, it's one of those. I would have hated to have been in their position to go out on pay per view and, and kind of not just kind of strap, but really, really strapped with a crappy production. Uh, environment. Let me ask about your electrified cage experience in Mexico. Would that have been in 05, 15,000 fans there? It looks like you were pro- probably a part of a tag match. La Parca, Vampiro, and El Zorro across from you. You're teaming with Charlie Manson and Abismo Negro. You guys were second to last. The main event is the electrified steel cage match where the loser had his head shaved. That Bingo. would have been Chessman, Cybernetico, Shocker, and Latin Lover. So you saw this in September of 05. And here on April of 07 thought, let's try it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and if people watch that back, it, it's, they didn't really, yeah, it's going to be kind of hokiness, but they didn't overdo the electrified part of it because you know, okay. Guys are going to get electrocuted. It's not like taking a flat back. You, 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 you may need to be able to sell that and it's in the finish or whatever it may be. So, uh, but yeah. Sounds about right. Time frame. It drew. <laughs> Let's go to the main event. Team Angle, which is Kurt Angle, Samoa Joe, Rhino, and Jeff Jarrett and Sting. Taking on Team Cage, which is Christian Cage, Tom Coe, Scott Steiner, Abyss, and AJ Styles. Similar to War Games, except just one ring. Lethal Lockdown goes 28 minutes and 4 seconds. Once everyone is in, instead of winning by submission... They would drop down a ceiling, which is filled with weapons. So it would turn into a weapons brawl. And before the show, Jim Cornette said Jarrett had interfered in the Joe versus styles TV match and gave Joe the win. And he had overturned the decision and Meltzer would say, boy, is that a major consistency problem? Harley race, who of course is a Missouri icon was used as the keeper of the cage key. Usually that's the MO for him to get jumped and lots of interference, but they treated race nicely, allowing him to, uh, get his pop for decking Jim, Jim Mitchell late in the match. Either way, eventually the crowd comes unglued seeing Steiner use the hurricane Rana or the Frankensteiner off the top rope. The crowd is chanting overrated at Scott Steiner when he does that move. They start chanting, we were wrong. (laughs) So Sting is next in. He gets a big pop. uh, And then Jarrett comes in last. Meltzer says, I noticed some booze for Jarrett. Jarrett's hair is like a total 80s baby face. He came out and was drop kicking everyone. It's funny how the multiple drop kick spot, which was a baby face staple, is now a new spot. 
Jarrett in his early days of the business was known for having one of the best drop kicks. And although he's a lot bigger, he still got some great height. It turned into a weapons brawl, but there were so many weapon shots that it didn't seem to build. It was just pop for the hard sound of the garbage can lid on the head. Let's talk about that for a minute. Where are you at on garbage can shots? Of course, like so many things done, uh, so, so many things done now way overdone, but, um, it's a visual that to this day, if a guy's sitting ringside and you get popped on the head with a, not a manby pamby shot, but a good one, um, it's, 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 it's effective, but the garbage can has been so overdone and tables so overdone. Now you look at GCW, they do doors, uh, more economical, but you know, it's, it's, it's a hardcore element that like a lot of things has been overdone. Mitchell eventually gives the best two bags full of thumbtacks. This is now a prerequisite spot in all the best matches. According to Meltzer. Race came around the ring slowly and decked Mitchell. And at this point, Rhino gored Tomko through the lock cage door on top of the cage styles hit angle on top of the head with a chair. I was shocked seeing it because years ago, after angle got his first surgery in Pittsburgh in 2003, it was a chair shot to the top of the head that undid it and put him out a second time. Angle said when he was in WWE, he doesn't think they should do hard chair shots to the head, but yep, here's one. Abyss eventually lays out Jarrett with a black hole slam angle punches styles off the top of the cage where everyone on the ground caught him. Abyss then put his second bag of thumbtacks into the guitar and gave it to Jarrett. Jarrett teased hitting sting, but instead hit abyss. Jarrett then resisted to pin abyss himself and told sting to get the pin. Sting thought it was a trick, but after more prodding from Jarrett, he pinned abyss sting and Jarrett shook hands angles on top of the cage, unhappy and ended up leaving by himself. Observer gave it four stars. Tor- Torch gave it three. It's your big return here, and you helped give Sting the win. And this is probably the best match on the card. Did it feel a little weird to be back in the ring as a talent, given all that had happened and just where you were at this point? Um, You know, at this point, so what is this? 15 years, so I had done it 20. I, I, I still into uh, the... I've been doing it over 20 years and with the personal situation and, and to back up to uh, folks that may be diving into these episodes, uh, October of 06 was, I was NWA champion. Sting was put his career up and my last opponent, October of 06 was Sting. So people were wondering, Oh, is Jeff going to switch our turn on Sting? That was kind of the card that they were playing with that I'd only made that TV appearance and I was the fifth guy and you know, all all that. So, you know, from a mental game, um, I got to the building and got my head in it, but the build up to it, the TVs and the emotional connection, it was a bit odd for sure. Um, you know, if, if folks want to go back and watch this, you know, you can tip your hat to AJ and Christian and abyss they really thought through all of this. And of course we already talked about, you know, Steiner doing that and the house was rocking. They were so into all this. And it's one of those deals when the 10th man gets in Conrad, I don't know if you've seen one of these in a while, we stop and let the cage lower with the weapons, good dramatic moment suspense. And then we kind of had the weapons, you know, my guitar, there was at a guitar hanging, there were chairs hanging, there were kendo sticks and the certain weapons, but, um, good drama. A good build. Um, and the people, 
they, they were into it. And uh, old Dave gave me some props on, on the drop kick. Uh, I know it pained him to do that, uh, but but um, uh, Black Machismo, uh, re, you know, he had to redeem himself on that, and I guess he had to redeem himself on the Johnny Fair Play haircut uh, uh, <laughs> comment. But it was good, good main event, very good main event. And and after the blindfold and and some of the backland stuff and the electrified cage, I I can remember before I headed out on the plane that night that we were glad that the, the last match, uh, delivered. Let's talk about something else that's in the torch. Jeff Jarrett and Dutch Mantel have their vision of pro wrestling and Russo's job is to fill in the blanks. He's been given the task of scripting promos for the underneath guys, such as Chris Saban and Jay lethal. He was also given the unenviable task of taking a Jarrett and Dutch idea for the breakfast with the devil segment between sting and James Mitchell and scripting the exchange line for line people in management other than Jarrett and Dutch recognized it as one of the most illogical storylines ever conceived and wondered how the $500,000 man sting couldn't deliver his few lines without looking like a first year acting student. What say you Jeff execution failure, good show bogged down by bad gimmicks. Chat me up. All of the above and none of the above. It, 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 look again, when you, you, you take, and I know there were for a time, there was kind of that, um, well, you, we, so we've heard the chance fire Russo, uh, stop this, stop that. And so some folks internally wanted to put out the narrative that Dutch is booking and Vince is scripting promos. Hey guys, that's not going to change anything. The hardcore marks whether Russo booked it or not, if they don't like it, they're going to hang it on Russo. And if they like it, they're going to give it to Dutch. It's just kind of the nature of the beast. Um, this specific instance about Mitchell and sting and all that. And there's a pot shot of, of, um, Wade given sting the $500,000 man, uh, just again, good newsletter writing is how I'll chalk it up. Let's, uh, let's do some questions here and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, Richard Smith wants to know what was the backstage opinion on the six sides of steel versus the more traditional cage. And what's your favorite crazy cage design? I'm, I'm partial to the six sided ring. Cause I think it is again, with the alternative mindset, it gives it a little different look. Now, if you're climbing to the top rope, uh, on, on a four sided ring or a six sided ring, the six sided ring angle isn't quite, you know, it's, 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 a more of an angle. So a little bit difficult. Same goes with a six sided, uh, cage up top. So, uh, but in my arsenal, I'm not diving off the top of a cage, but, um, I, th- I thought a six sided cage on television looked fantastic. Uh, Michael McClanahan says Jim Cornette tells a story about Jeff being frustrated that brother Ray dropped a visible F bomb after the electrified steel cage match. Does Jeff have any memories of this incident? I don't have any memories. I can see it happening. I can see, and rightly so I, I can, I, I can see Bubba dropping more than one F bomb and I can see, uh, brother Cornette being, uh, inter- entertained or amused by that, but I don't have a recollection of it. Not saying it didn't happen by any means, but don't recall it. Um, Brad Stanton wants to know Chris Saban has been a tremendous performer for a long time. Do you think his size held him back for WWE? Or was he always happy doing what he was doing? Um, you know, you, you have to look at 
Malenko and Eddie and, and Benoit and that era. So there were guys Chris's size. So I can't really say that his size held him back. I also think Saban was very happy with working at TNA. Uh, as he came in, we began to run my, more live events. He was making a good living. Was he making a WWE living? Probably not, but he's making a good living. So I'm not sure that he was ever pursuing a WWE deal. I can't believe this is real. Matt wants to know. I want to thank Jeff and him for his crew for making a lasting first wrestling experience for me, except for the blindfold match. <laughs> My question for Jeff is, is there any truth to Austin Aries claim? I believe it was on an old Chris Jericho podcast that the crew actually forgot to bring a chain link fence to St. Louis. And that's why we had to go with the cage. We got. Oh, Austin. No. Okay. <laughs> that, that's not true. It, the complete, complete lack of communication on the electrified cage. It, it just in every shape, form or fashion. Well, next week we'll be discussing your return to the WWE, your hall of fame induction, how it all came together, your memories of the experience, your first conversation back with Vince and just your return to the company itself. I don't think a lot of people would have called that happening a few years ago, but it did happen. And I've joked here on the program before and with you in real life that if cats have nine lives, Jarrett's have 10. And, uh, we'll talk about one of those next week here on the program. What do you think we might talk about you going into the hall of fame and Coming you back know, and to I've work. I thought for about this when I saw the notes. You know, Arash Markazi, I always say his yeah, name, right? Great guy. Yeah, okay. So when the announcement came out, and we'll get into that, but he reached out. He shadowed me the entire uh, rehearsal day and day of. He got a photo of me and Vince when we first literally hadn't seen each other in years. Um, anyway, maybe we do an ad free discussion with Arash uh, at some point, but. Um, how all that came down, uh, you know, uh, where I, where I was at in my personal life, uh, at the end of 2017 and how 2018 started, um, the hall of fame, the members that went in, I, 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 to this day, and you know, in my house, I've got one of those pictures up, you know, I got a personal relationship with kid rock, hillbilly Jim went into that cl- class. I knew him when I was in high school, team 3d worked for me, Goldberg our WCW relationship. Um, you know, they're just everybody in the class. Uh, I know I'm forgetting somebody here, but, but it was, it was unique that 2018 class, the warrior award went to a, a, a young man, his name's JJ. So there were two double J's going in. It was just a lot of ways. So surreal, um, leading up to it, the announcement, the texts I got, um, just, to this day, it's one of those, in a lot of ways, like, wow, did that really happen in that timeline at that time? And of course, you know, Road Dog, and we'll tell a good story about Vince, and we sang the song, and why he wanted to sing it, and how we were going to do it, and the rehearsal, and our Car- Cardona, it's funny, Cardona and Myers, I went over to them while I was singing it, and they got that shot, they sell those photos, and it'll be a fun episode, Conrad, I'm looking forward to that. And you can go ahead and if you want to give me and Bruce credit right now for you going in the hall of fame by singing that song again, that'd be a fine time to do it. Just get ahead well, of it next week. You know? I will give you credit when I get my payoff from that live show, uh, that I stopped by at two in the afternoon. Remember that? Remember? Uh, hey, we, we I'm kidding. I feel like yeah. it was midnight if I'm right. No, no. 
no, no, that's Orlando. Remember New Orleans, New Orleans, but Bradshaw and Briscoe. That's right. It was a matinee type deal. I right? Yeah. And Karen's like, Jeff, are you sure? Because the Uber driver is taking this down. And, and I go, yeah, we're going in the back of this club. Karen goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm going on stage and singing one song. She goes, anyway, I, that, we'll tell it next week. It's the, funny. The House of Blues, by God. Yes, yes. What a fun time. I, I don't think I've ever told you this, the, the no, story, right? No, I don't know the story. Then we'll we'll, we'll save it. it, it it's, uh, she, she could, she went from like, what to, Oh, would you stop? We because they were going sightseeing or, or something. Anyway, it went from anyhow. We'll talk about it next week. Looking forward to uh, it. In the meantime, I know they can buy tickets to see you and Road Dog at doublejlive.com. Where can they get these baseball tickets you're always talking about, but never tell us where to buy? Shoesbaseball.com. Shoe and and as I'm doing the podcast, I'm getting my email notifications. They're selling, baby. Corbin Burnson, Jerry the King Lawler. No, shoesbaseball.com shoesbaseball.com doublejlive.com and of course adfreeshows.com has a big hey, announcement Conrad. stay tuned yes sir yeah and guess what you sort of poke fun at me today a little bit because we did uh, the ad free special of taz at sabu yeah and you had arn and we did a watch along with rick do you know who's on ad free a week from tonight no, uh, wait, tomorrow night. My bad. No, it's tonight. So if you're I, listening to this, I don't know what's going on. Confused. I don't know. I don't know. What, I, I'm sorry, Conrad. What's it's, happening it's, and where is it? And is it shoes baseball? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what's happening tomorrow, next week, a week from tomorrow? Tonight? No, tomorrow. Yeah, night. It's tonight. Hey, save with double Peace out. No, <laughs> Conrad. Who's on first? No, seriously. What were you going to do? Hell, I don't know. Something about ad free. God damn it. You teased yeah. it. Payable. We're having fun, pal. I always have fun with you. What are you doing something on ad free shows tonight? Yes, I am. Are you doing, are you doing a watch along? Are you doing a Q and a, are you talking good about day, a slap pal. dick from young rock? What are we doing? Oh, good Lord. Hey, young rock, a couple more episodes coming up in the month of May, but God, I'm, you've got me so flustered. I'm about to get on a plane and go break some eggs. And on that note, we'll see you next week right here on what show is this? My world with Jeff Jarrett. Peace. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.